today. A spiritual strategy to be greatest in your world. Okay? Spiritual strategy to be greatest in your world. You say, Pastor Paul, did, did you, the Bible teach us that? If the Bible didn't teach us, I wouldn't preach it, okay? So this, this is one of the things that will change your life. And I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, I, I don't give, well, I'll give guarantee a lot of times, but I guarantee you, if you follow what is being said today, you will have your best year yet. I know this is at the end of January, but, you know, we're still starting the year. If you follow this, whatever God had called you to, whether it is in ministry, whether it is in your vocation, do you know that you could be greatest even as a janitor? I was sharing with some people in the, in the, uh, in the uh, pre-service huddle. As a janitor, just think about it. You're the best janitor in the world. You discover a system that will clean whatever place you clean uh, with 50% of the efforts, 50% of the time because you're so good at it. And guess what? Then you, you're going to be the best, and you're going to have other business opportunity. And before you know it, you're going to start a company about cleaning. And do you know there are multi-billion dollars cleaning company in the world these days? You did not know they do. If you are the best at what you do, if, if, and, and that's the calling of God, if you're the best, you, be, you will be the greatest. So let me set this up for you before we start um, um, uh, preaching about what it is I want to say. Uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Galatians chapter 3, 13 to 14. The word of God says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ... Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, everybody say the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is all encompassing in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus came on the cross 2,000 years ago, what Paul the apostle is saying is this, he had gotten rid of all the curses of the law. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, we're going to go through one verse in Deuteronomy 28 later on. If you go through Deuteronomy chapter 28, you will find that the people of Israel, as they begin to possess the promise of Abraham, that will be the Canaan land, God gave them two choices. First is to obey his instructions in his law, and then they will be blessed. And from the first verse to the verse 14, it's all about the blessings of God if they obey the Lord. And then from 15 all the way to the end is if they disobey God, all the curses will follow. They'll get sick, they'll get poor, they'll get beat up, and so, so on and so forth. But what Paul is saying is this, is because of what Jesus had done on the cross, all the curses from 15 verse onwards is all wiped out. You should be excited. <laughs> you know, <laughs> All wiped out. Now, the blessings are there. The blessings are there. But they are not there to be handed over to you on the silver platter. In other words, you do not think about it. 
The blessing is not there to rain down on you automatically by itself. There is, there are instructions to get a hold of those blessings. Now, you don't have to worry about the curse anymore because even if you don't have, you know, disobey God, you just ask God to forgive you and He is faithful and just will forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Then you are not, you know, some people, you know, they got into an accident. You know, we a couple of people got into an accident last week, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, you know. If they have a, if they have a nine that is not renewed, immediately they go, oh, I, I must have done something wrong. That could not be further from the truth. Just things just happen, right? Just take it easy. You know, don't curse yourself. You and I have been redeemed. Everybody see redeemed from the curse of the law. So, you, so if, if, even if you have done something wrong, you're under grace and you ask God to forgive you and you change your mind, you repent, He will forgive you and He will give you a fresh start. And that's why grace is so awesome. It's so powerful. But this morning, I want to talk about the blessings. I want to stay on the positive. And one of the blessings that has been promised by God is in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. Right up there. And this is what I want to talk about today. And the Lord will make you the head. Everybody said the head. And not the tail. You shall not only go up. Everybody say going up. And not down. Well, what a promise. Every seemingly major setback, a lot of people will say is a downwards. But many people don't realize that if you were to just trust in God, you will see that even setbacks is a stepping stone to go upwards. It is the promise of God. He said you will go up and not go down. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and being careful to do them. So we're going to study about the specific commitment that will cause you and I to be the head, not the tail, to be the greatest. Jesus taught that. And we're going to get to that later on. But I want to show you something here. How many of you know this company, all these companies? Are you familiar with them? they what we call, now if you're an avid um, a trader in the market, you will know about this terminology called FANG. No, it's not FANG. FANG, right? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. They have the highest or one of the highest valuation in the market today. They... Some, actually, two of them, Apple and Amazon, may actually surpass a trillion dollars. A trillion, how do you even comprehend a trillion dollars valuation last year? I mean, it's gone down since, but just think about it. Their, their, their valuation is higher than most uh, countries' GDP on planet Earth. That's, so, that's ridiculous. That's amazing, right? But would you be surprised if I tell you that they use the same strategy that Jesus taught every single one of them? We'll get to that. Okay? All of them use the same strategy that Jesus had taught. And if you use them, my friends, I will guarantee you, you will be the greatest in your world. Whether in your workplace, in ministry, in whatever that God has called you to, you will be greatest in your world. You'll be greatest among your peers. You'll be greatest among the family members because this is your destiny. This is the destiny of every believer who calls upon the name of the Lord. You say, I, I, I'm not there. But don't feel pressure to be there. I'm going to show you that it is not by strive or works. 
You know, a lot of people using strife and work, cheat and pressure, and this, this polit- politic coercion. You know, whatever ways that you achieve your success, you will have to keep doing it when you get there because you need to defend it. Because before you know it, somebody is going to come over and eat you up. So if you achieve your success or greatness or victory with a lot of strive, you will be striving for the rest of your life. But this church is all about rest. Amen. Can I hear you louder? Amen. Amen. It's all about rest. So I want to show you how it is, this spiritual strategy that Jesus had taught us, his church, can be such a valuable lesson for you. And these guys, of course, they did not know that, you know, about the spiritual strategy that Jesus taught. They just accidentally employed them, and so that's why it works. Now, I'm going to read you a scripture, and I'm going to tell you the story of this guy, okay? And then we're going to go on. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. You're very familiar with that scripture. 24 to 27. Many preachers use this scripture as a way to teach us to serve. But this scripture is about teaching believers how to be greatest. You're so quiet. You ought to be very excited. Right? Now, a dispute also arose among them. See, a lot of people think this is a teaching about humility. It is. But Jesus is trying to address the desire that God has put in each and every one of our hearts is to be greatest. Are you here this morning? Okay, Jesus wasn't trying to smack down that ambition. But Jesus was teaching them how to get there, not in the worldly way, but in the ways of God. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. (laughs) And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, rather let let the greatest among you become as the youngest, let the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I'm among you? Because he is the greatest as one who serves. Up until the time of this statement, this is how the world used to work. In fact, Proverbs confirmed it. The other day I was, I was reading, you know, going through Proverbs, and then I, this is a line that came out. The most violent man will be most prosperous. I went, what? What? Proverbs? Most violent man will be most prosperous? Are you kidding me? You see, up to the time when Jesus introduced this concept, the biggest bully always become the king. The Roman Empire became the Roman Empire because they had slaughtered literally hundreds of thousands of people. The biggest thieves and biggest robbers become the biggest empire. Are you here? And so the concept in the world at the time, the narrative of the world at the time is that if we want to be greatest, you need to argue away, manipulate away, bully away into become the greatest. And many people in the world today, unfortunately, Christians also are using the same technique. Well, they come to church to worship God and serve God. And I'm not trying to judge. judge. I try, I, I'm trying to help us to live in rest and live to become greatest. 
Well, they, they, they call themselves Christians. They, they're contending and striving and stepping over people, manipulating their way, coercing and, and causing harm to people just so that they can get to the top. And then when they get to the top, they say, praise the Lord. Please don't do that. God has a better way for you to get to the top. I'm going to show you how it is that you can get to the top. So up to the time that Jesus introduced this concept, to get to the top, you need to use all the ways, all the means to manipulate, to, to do politics, to, to hurt somebody, to step over somebody so that you can t- get to the top. And then Jesus brought in this amazing concept. He said, I'm greatest among you, yet I serve. To be greatest... In any area of your life, in any career you have chosen, in any field that you are in, in any circumstance in your world, is to be the servant of that world. As easy as, ever, as, as you can, can imagine. In fact, so easy you probably think it won't work. Now I'm going to show you how it works. Now let's go back to this fang thing, the fang guys. Do you realize that all this company didn't start off in the strategy room as to how they make money? None of them did. In fact, I'll say even Microsoft that is not listed here because Microsoft used to be the king, but they're not there anymore. But all those guys started off by doing, wanting to do something. What they wanted to do was to improve the life of Americans or humanity at large. The lives of the people around them. Let's start with Facebook. Now, you may not know the history of Facebook, but if you do, just t- t- uh, bear with me a little bit. When Mark Zuckerberg and his buddy, can't remember his name, started this Facebook, they started it in college, in Harvard. And what they wanted to do was that they want to allow, they want to create a platform and a tool to allow the alumni and all the students to get, get in touch with each other all the time. They just, they just want to help out. They weren't thinking about making money. They were just thinking, how do we help our students? How do we serve them? How do we help them to keep in touch with one another? And so they created this platform. And they started to work and, and people in, in, in Harvard, you know, started to use it. And the next thing you know, somebody in Cornell University heard about it. And then Stanford. And before you know it, all the universities start to use it. And before you, you know it, the users start to pick up and become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point it's so big they have hundreds of million users. And all of a sudden they realize, hey, we can make a lot of money out of this. We can actually advertise. We can collect all the data and just have a targeted advertise for people who wants to advertise. But they didn't start off thinking about advertisement. They didn't start off by thinking about making money. They started off by thinking, how do we serve our community of Harvard students in the university? Now, let's talk about Apple. You know, I'm old enough to know about Apple even before many of you were born. See, Apple was started by Steve Jobs, you know. And, you know, funny thing is you don't realize that, but Steve Jobs started the company in response to Bill Gates. So Bill Gates had this amazing dream. He didn't want to make a lot of money. What he wanted to do was he said, I want to put every computer in every household in America. Now, at the time, computer was as big as 
a quarter of this room. Massive. And so people kind of laugh at him. What are you, it's crazy. Who is going to buy a computer? So he had a dream that for, he, for, for, for every American household, they would have a computer because if they do, life will improve. And so he started, and he, he then, you know, I don't know where he got the money, but he got an investment, maybe it's from his mom because his mom used to work for IBM. Anyway, so he got the money, and, um, and then he bought, he didn't even make MS-DOS, he bought it from somebody. And he used MS-DOS, coupled together with some of the hardware from IBM, and boom, they got this thing called PC. Now, PC, if you know, in the old days, you have to type everything, right? You had, there's a command line. You have to type D-I-R, C directory. And you have to do script programming if you want to automate anything. There's no nothing. It's, and then if you do use processor or spreadsheet, it's all about using the arrow and typing. But it worked anyways. And then Steve Jobs thought, well, a lot of people will not want to buy a computer because it's so hard to use. So he's the first guy who came up with the idea that why don't we create a graphical user interface? All graphics and everybody can just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Use the mouse and the pointer. And of course, Microsoft found out about it. Of course, they invented the own graphics and the rest is history. That's how Apple started. Now, of course, they kicked out Steve Jobs uh, along the way, and then the company flopped. And then when it flopped, they invited Steve Jobs to come back and came back, and he started something else. He was asking the question, how do I, how do I help people to enjoy music in a more convenient way? And therefore, iPod was started. Now, Amazon. You don't know the story of Amazon, but if you want to know the story of Amazon, Jeff Bezos was trying to figure out how people don't need to go into a store anymore, but conveniently click some buttons and get products shipped to them. And it was, it was a new concept. People were too afraid. They worried that there'll be theft. People steal your credit card number, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And so to entice people, they, they sell it really cheap. But these days, Amazon is so convenient that, I don't know if you know, they don't have the cheapest stuff anymore. You actually pay a premium to buy from Amazon. But we still do it by the hundreds of millions. They're making billions. Why? Because it's absolutely convenient. But they started off by wanting to meet a needs, improve life, add value to people. Now, I can say the same thing about Netflix. You know, I don't know if you know the history of Netflix. They started as a bunch of rebels, just download pirated movies. It was a pirated movie hub. And what they want to do is to help people to watch movies for free, you know. <laughs> but it become, I mean, it's, I mean they, they were immoral, but praise, you know, nah, I don't know what I should praise God. I shouldn't praise God. <laughs> but the key is they're trying to help people. And Google, of course, I don't know if you know Google didn't start off by just wanting to become the biggest uh, search engine in the world. It was just a thesis by these two founders, Larry Page and Sergey, can remember the name. Um, Sergey. Yeah, brain, right? He's a Russian. Praise God, hallelujah for Russian. So anyway, so they just, want, they just want to create something. It was a thesis. I believe it was Cornell. They were attending Cornell University. It, just, it was just a thesis. They just want to, you know, it, they, they weren't thinking. So none of them were just thinking, how do I make money? You know, a lot of people out there trying to figure out how to make money. I always tell my kids, you know, I say, you should, you should start a company. 
But don't start a company by figuring out, trying, by trying to make money. That you will not succeed. But start the company by figuring out how you can meet the needs that nobody else is meeting right now. Because when you're able to do that, when you see the needs and you come up with a system to meet the needs effectively, money will chase you. And that's how we become greatest, you see. You know, when I was, um, when I was uh, working in the secular world, um, when, before I became a preacher, I, I always had this ambition of wanting to make a lot of money. So in second year university, I started a company. And uh, it has a funny name. I won't even tell you what it is. I'm embarrassed to even tell you what the name is. But the whole idea of the company was to, to resell computer parts and products and so forth to whatever, right? And so what I did is I, I converted my, my bedroom into an office. At the time, Visa and banks, they were so easygoing, they let you do anything. So I applied to CIBC uh, to allow me to use their Visa so that I can process sales through Visa, you know, using those paper. They didn't have electronic at the time. I remember the morning that the bank manager himself, the branch manager, was coming to visit my house in my room. And he came into my room. He sat in this used chair that I put together. And then I have this makeshift table, you know. Here I was having this big company, right? And it's just my room. I just, I just, I just took the bed outside, you know. I just parked it somewhere at the back and so that it looks like a room. And he came in, you know, with all his suit and he was sitting in my little small room and tried to ask me my, about my, my company and so forth. We haven't made one sale yet. And then the next thing you know, he approved. He said, okay, you can use this visa thing. It's like, wow, okay, go for it. Then you know what I did? What I did was I, I thought to myself, if I can undercut all my competitors. So what I do is I, I watch all the prices that they have about all the same parts and, and, and computer parts and computers and software that they have. And I would undercut them because I thought, okay, I'm a one-man show. So I don't have to pay all the staff salary so I can undercut them. I had some business, I had some sale, but it was not sustainable. It didn't work. I had to close it down. Now, after I finished university, you know, and, and I spent a couple of years being a computer engineer, and then I thought it was too boring, so I wanted to make money, and so I, I just I went into sales and marketing again. I remember the first time I was working for this big, uh, large Japanese uh, company called Fujitsu, and, and so they were reselling some, some server and so forth, and so I, I, I look at all the competitors in the market. I made a decision, and of course, I got approval from them that I would undercut everybody by 50%, so our profit margin was, was really low. And I was able to get a lot of business and, and, you know, my boss was really happy and, and realized that after that, everybody started undercutting their price. And before you know it, I lost all the business. Then I figured something out. Finally, it occurred to me. It occurred to me this. If I were to be successful, I need to be able to meet needs that nobody can. And this is an industry term that has been used a lot. If you're in the computer industry or any industry, it's called value add. Don't just sell computer. What is your value add? If I'm able to articulate or find out a value that can help people and serve them well, my competitors could be charging half the price of what I charge. I would still be able to win because I'm able to meet needs that price alone will not meet. What am I saying? This is why I learned. In whatever you do, wherever you are, look for opportunity 
to serve by meeting needs. Every one of us can be great. In fact, watch this, watch this uh, quote by MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. He says, everybody can be great. Why? Because everybody can serve. All of us can be great because all of us can serve. And I will say this. We all can be greatest if we be the servant of all. You and I can be the greatest if we're willing to do what Jesus said, to serve everyone that we come in contact with. This is not the system of the world. The system of the world is you step over people, you manipulate, you coerce, you do everything in your power to cheat your way to the top. That is not sustainable. What's sustainable is how we can serve. Just imagine, just think as I speak right now in your workplace. Are you serving? Are you serving without purpose? In fact, are you serving without expecting a return? Are you giving something to someone, adding values to someone without expecting a return from the particular person? Because my friends, that's the key for you to be greatest. According to what Jesus said. I'm in an IT environment. Some of you are in IT environment. So I, all my stories is IT related. I'm sorry. I was in an IT environment when I was in the secular world. So I'm trying to relate, right? There was this chief executive officer. The first large computer company female CEO. Her name was Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiorina. Some of you know. And somebody asked her, you know, she didn't come from a, a, a background that she had a big Ivy League uh, uh, degree or have all the pedigree that you need to have to become a CEO. She started off as a secretary. And somebody asked her, what, you know, can you tell us about your journey, how you get up from being a secretary to the CEO of the largest or the second largest uh, IT company in the world? And this was her answer. She said, you know what, when I was a secretary, I always have this habit and this habit of mine to trying to help people to solve problems. So even though it's not my problem, I will always get myself involved in helping people to solve problems. Their personal problems, company problems, you know, just problems. People, I just love to help people with their problems. I look for problems and I try to solve them. He said, she said, before you know it, everybody knew me as Carly who likes to solve problems. And it is because I like to solve problems every time when there are problems within the company, guess who they look for, including the senior management. They heard about her, that she loved to solve problems. And she became exposed to everyone, the important people. And before you know it, she get promotion after promotion after promotion. What she's saying is this, I have learned to be a servant to everyone in my company. And that's how I became the greatest. I don't know whether she's a Christian or not. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25. Actually, don't even turn to it. It's a long story. Just don't, don't, don't turn to it. That's why I have just scripture here, you know. In Matthew 25, you have a chance to look at it, uh, have a look at it. You know, Jesus was telling... Uh, his disciple, when, when, when he comes back in his glory, he'll be like a king. 
And what he's going to do is he's going to separate all his people into two groups. One group, he called them the goats. One group, he called them the sheep, the goats and the sheep. Everybody wants to be sheep, right? Nobody wants to be goats because goats, if you want to know, they ended up, you know, get kicked out. And so this is how he separated the goats and the sheep. He said, when I was in hospital, you came and visit me. When I was sick, you came and tend for my needs. You know, when I was in trouble, you came to my aid. When I was thirsty, you, you, you let me have drinks. You, 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 you took care of me. And those who are goats, uh, sorry, um, sheep. There's also what sheep says, you know, God, we, we never did that. We didn't even know you were there. But Jesus was saying, you know, because you were doing it to the least of these, you were actually doing it to me. And the goats, of course, they say, oh, God, I never met you. I never saw you. I didn't know you were in prison. didn't know you were hungry or thirsty. And, and Jesus said, because you didn't do to the least of this, you were not doing it to me. In other words, watch this. When we serve others, not even out of the need to want to be greatest, we are actually serving Jesus. You know, it is, it is so, um, for people like me, uh, pastors, uh, we can get easily caught up with what serving Jesus means. You know, as pastors, you, you, you're inundated with many things, operational issues, and sometimes we can get get caught up in operation things and get excited about operational things. You know, there's a lot of uh, operational things that we manage throughout the week about the church, the building, all the networks and all the accounting, all the website, all the multimedia. And we can get caught up because we're thinking we are serving Jesus. We are serving in the church. We work in the church. And then we can lose sight, very easy lose sight of the fact that our main calling is to serve people. And sometimes when we preach, we want to preach a sermon that, that would impress people. I'm doing a confession before you so you can feel comfortable, right? I'm not perfect, right? Sometimes we preach, you know, how do I impress people? But instead of that, we need to be so careful that everything we do, every words I say, everything that I do, I need to ask myself a question. Am I serving someone with this? Am I lifting them up? Am I lifting, washing their shoes? Am I bringing hope to them? Am I serving people when I speak and I preach? Am I serving the people who listen? Am I calling? the life to be better? Am I adding value to their lives? This is what a lot of preachers like me need to pay attention to. But also, ladies and gentlemen, when you come to church, it's so easy to think that sometimes we serve the Lord, but we, we got to remember whatever we do, we're not doing it to promote ourselves. The worship team, I told them yesterday, we, we're not here to promote ourselves. We have a platform that people see and but sometimes can be so mistaken. We can be so mistaken that we, we're actually not serving people or God. We're actually serving ourselves because we want people to pay attention to us. But everything we do, we must learn how to serve other people because that is a sure way that you and I live in our destiny to be the best. Where have God called you to? Now think how you can serve as a servant. Every great man, 
great businessmen, politicians, they will tell you they didn't start off just be the top guy. They need to learn how to serve. Though their service had a certain agenda, I pray and hope that your service is to worship God. I want you to look at this favorite scripture that I have, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we quoted last week. And I'm going to end here. Paul the Apostle said, It appealed to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you know that word worship is being used interchangeably between service and worship? I'm going to show you the Greek word of worship. Is actually called, I don't know, you Bible scholars, you can just pronounce this, right? Sounds like some tea joint, you know, La Tierra or whatever. Hey, Christian. Um, in the New Testament, this Greek word was used 21 times to signify worship. But it's actually service rendered. Watch this. Do you want your worship experience in this house to improve tenfold? The way that you can improve your worship experience is not a better band, more smoke. I mean, I don't mind that. I love it. Not better music, better singers. They are all great. They're all awesome. They're all very important to me. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's to you. Many people would say, oh, I try to connect with God. Oh, you guys are not spiritual enough. I can't seem to feel God. I, I do think that there is a, such a rich presence of God here, and many people have testified there is a presence of God, a rich presence of God here, and I believe that. We've seen miracles, healing, and so forth, even during worship service. But I'll tell you this. If you want to elevate your experience in worship, don't come like you would go to a theater. I'm not trying to judge you. Okay? Don't come to get entertained, to get amused, to get, you know, what can the preacher say to me to make me happier? Or what, what, you know, I will do my job. I will hear from the Lord to encourage you, to serve you. But if you have one purpose in mind is that when you go to church, you are going there to serve. Your experience in worship, I will guarantee you, will improve tenfold. We always ought to ask ourselves this question, when I go to the house of the Lord, am I serving or am I taking? Some of us, you know, we say, God, you know, I want to connect with you. I want, I want, to, I want to hear, I want, I want to be closer to you. And yet, according to Jesus, I'm everywhere. Why don't you hug me? Why don't you say some words to lift me up? And yet a lot of people are still praying, oh God, more. I love to go to conferences. There's a lot of conferences and, and I, can't, I, have, I can't, oh, I don't want to afford to go to all these conferences around the world anymore because they're really expensive, so I stream live. <laughs> I've been streaming live conferences since December, different conferences, amazing. Love, love it. So we go to more conferences to have more experiences, spiritual experiences. 
We keep chasing more spiritual experiences. I think we're chasing emotional experiences, but nonetheless, it's good. It's whatever. It's better than you going to, to uh, you know, whatever. But I want to tell you, your spiritual experience, your intimacy with God will be more pronounced to you when you start to serve others. Put yourself as a sacrifice on the altar. Worship team, can you come? Put yourself as a sacrifice on the altar that God can send his fire to bring revival to your life. And that sacrifice means you're yielding yourself fully. We talked about that a few weeks ago. To serve, to worship. We're all very busy. Some people say, I can't serve because I'm too busy. Listen, we all have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Are you saying that those of us who serve has less to do? You're kidding yourself. We are always busy. We all have children. And many of us are in sandwich generation. We have to take care of our kids and our parents. And you think we're less busy? We are as busy. We are as tired. We are as exhausted. I'm not trying to put guilt on you. Please don't feel that way. I'm sorry if you feel that way. What I want, I want to encourage you is put legs to your worship. Come and not just use your lips and your tongues and your ears, but come and use everything that you have to worship your God by serving one another. You will have a more amazing worship experience in this house. I guarantee you that or wherever you go to. This is our worship is to serve one another. And I pray that for the past 30 minutes or 40 minutes that I have spent with you, that I have demonstrated to you not only to become greatest, but also become more intimate with your God.